Georgie? The blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. Come with me if you want to live. Hello and welcome to Direct to Nowhere, the section of the Road to Nowhere podcast in which we invite a guest on to discuss one of their favourite directors and three movies from that director. Tonight I'm delighted to be joined by senior staff writer for What to Watch Now and host of the TV Time podcast, Lucy Buglis. Hi Lucy, how are you doing? Hi, thanks so much for having me on, I'm very excited to be here. Thanks very much for joining us, how's things with yourself alright? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad, just excited to talk about my favourite director in the world, so it's, uh, it put, mm. puts me in a good mood. <laughs> oh, I definitely. Yeah. Um, so we will come on to him, uh, or her, if it's, and it's not going to be a secret, <laughs> but yeah, we'll come on to the said director. Um, uh, so just to start off, if you just want to tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, yeah, no problem. So I am, like you say, senior staff writer with uh, What to Watch, I've been doing that well, I was like a junior writer for a couple of years and I've been promoted, so that's nice. Mm. <laughs> bit, mm. uh, Congratulations. Thank you, a little bit of responsibility there. So it means I'm doing a <laughs> bit more with the site. Um, so I'm in charge of things like, uh, you know, series guide, reviews, like film or TV reviews, uh, anything to do with film or TV is basically where, I, where I'm at. So uh, I kind of joke that I watch TV for a living because I kind of do... <laughs> Yeah, so I live in London now, but obviously I'm from Newcastle, if you couldn't tell. Um, and yeah, it's <laughs> after, after like what, I've been down here since, God, 2013, and, and the accent hasn't gone yet. <laughs> so no, it's no. still here. <laughs> so, I, so, you I know, was... I, I feel like I'm a Geordie at heart, even if I'm not in, in Newcastle right now. Aye, gotta keep your roots. Absolutely, keep absolutely. <laughs> um, I was uh, down in London for the Barbarian press screening. Oh yeah. Uh, two, th- three weeks ago, maybe that's the first time I've been down in twenty-three years. Like, uh, uh, and I don't, I don't think I'll be back anytime soon. <laughs> I get too busy for me, man. It's a it's lot. Even. I think, <laughs> yeah, it, it's a lot. Like, I'm, I'm in the southeast of London, so it's a little quieter. It's kind of like out, yeah. out the way a little bit. You yeah. know, I could never, well. I could never live in Central for a start, but like I, I wouldn't want even if I could, I wouldn't want. It was just too busy. Yeah, so, I was um, seeing man in Wimbledon. I was there literally twenty, no, even twenty four hours. I got the yeah the bus uh, bus from Glasgow down to down to London on Tuesday oh. overnight Monday into Tuesday. Yeah, um, went to see man. He went from who stays in Wimbledon. Went from Wimbledon to Westminster, and that was where I got annoyed with all the people. And then just wandered about and went to Camden to meet my cousin, who's from Bolton, and he's also kept his accent as well. He's been down there a while. Yeah, I think some um, people do. Some people do. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, and then I was, went to the Barbarian screening, and then I was on the bus straight after the movie and back up the road. Oh man, so, honestly, that was, it was hellish. I, I've also done the overnight coach till uh, Newcastle, which is like. I don't know how long it is for you. I think it's about eight hours for us. Obviously, obviously longer for you. <laughs> I was eight and a half, actually. It was a mega bus. Oh, really? So it wasn't too bad. I only stopped twice. Oh, I got screwed over then because I had about four stops. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's what it have been. I think, and I think it was one of the stops was like half an hour, 45 minutes as well. So it oh, okay. Bad. That's all right, yeah. yeah. So well, I've just been there. What did you think of Barbarian? Because I've also seen it. 
I loved it. Oh, I, I didn't like it. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> I never knew. I hadn't even seen a trailer. I just knew who was in it. Yeah. Um, and I'd seen the poster. I think that was it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. I, I loved oh, the, the nonsense of it. <laughs> if it had went overnight and I fucking hated it, I'd have been raging. I'm definitely <laughs> in the minority because most people love it. And that's fair mm-hmm. enough, but... Like, the way I've said it, like, I don't want to spoil it because it is a fairly new film, but, like, yeah. the first 20 minutes, I thought, this is lit. Mm. And then it goes, it, it, it the tone changes quite a lot. You, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. At, at that point, I was like, ooh, and then I kind of fell fell out of love with it, I guess. It just, it was a mm. shame. It was a shame. I wanted to like it. It's kind of, I can get that, though, as well, because it's kind of like three different movies, isn't it? Yeah, really? yeah. Um, without giving, again, without giving it away, but, it's, yeah, it's really, really strange, but... I loved it. I love things like the weird stuff like in like Malignant, which didn't seem to get a big write up or yeah. positive write up, but I love Malignant as well. And okay. the more weird the better, I think. <laughs> like I, I respect what it's doing, you know. I, I love any horror getting commercial success, like Barbarian, you know, it's on Disney Plus now, that's amazing, you know. Fair play to which that, that that's great. Um but did I enjoy it? No, sadly. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's just stick on that a wee bit, actually, because yeah. the, 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 the sort of horror this year has been quite profitable for companies. It's, it's Ooh, early. yeah, yeah, yeah. It seemed like um, Terrifier 2 mm-hmm. is just absolutely blowing, oh. thing, blowing box office out of the water. It must be up at 12, 13 million now. For, oh, it's high, it's high. And I think yeah. I think the social media stuff has helped, you know, all the... Yeah. Like, my friend had to go to, like, the emergency room because of it, and it's, like, all these posts about it, you know? I don't know if you saw that one where it went viral. This guy was like, I took my friend to see Terrifier 2 and he had to go to the hospital. It's like, what? Aye. Um, Some people just completely overreact, didn't it? That does help a campaign, I think, though. Aye. Yeah. Uh, same with like when we had Dashcam this year and View Bandit. Oh, I love Dashcam. It was such stupid Aye. fun. Aye. I, I, I quite liked it. We had spoke to Jed and the first time I watched it, I really didn't agree with it at all. Yeah. Get on board with it. Then second time I watched it, I really... But they had the, the kind of the whole thing with you saying they weren't going to show it. Oh yeah. Um, so that there's no uh, no publicity. There's no such thing as bad publicity. So that might be the right the right phrase. Especially for horror, because I think if you <laughs> if you ban it, people want to know why. <laughs> mm. And have you seen Terrifier Two? I haven't seen it yet. I've mm. seen the first one, and I read I read it on the second one. I haven't actually seen it, but I, I missed mm. it at Fright Fest because I went to see my friend's short film instead. So, right. like a true friend. <laughs> Oh, of course. But it was like, I think it's like two and a half hours long, and I'm like, Jesus Christ, like, that's really long. <laughs> it is, yeah, oh, it was quite long. It could have maybe done a wee bit shaved off it, but yeah, I, I preferred it to the first one, which uh, I thought was okay. Yeah. And I, I hadn't actually seen it until just before I saw Terrifier 2 because I thought I had seen it, but I had seen All Hallows' Eve. Right. Which is like, it's got Art the Clown in it, but it's like a like a VHS-style movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, uh, anthology. And so that's it, yeah. Um and I didn't like that at all, so I hadn't bothered. Oh, okay. Even looking at Terrifier 2. The first one was okay. Just yeah. a bit grotty with a wishbone scene or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so, moving on to just uh, kind of cinema memories for yourself. Do you have an earliest cinema or movie memory? doesn't need to be at the cinema, but yeah. it could be if it is. So I was thinking about this like before we started recording, and I think... A little anecdote I like to tell people is that when I was younger, I watched Mary Poppins so much that I broke the VHS of it. Because, But back in the day, you could physically break it. You know, it, yeah. it was possible. You could just, you know, you had the little little tape in. You, you could mess it up. 
So mm. I was obsessed with Mary Poppins. So I think my answer would be watching that for a first time as a child and being like, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because it kind of contradicts what I've then gone on to specialise in because obviously I'm, I'm a big horror fan. Um, but it's always got a special place in my heart, Mary Poppins. I just think it's a lovely, lovely Disney film. So mm. when people say, what's your earliest cinema mem- memory? I'm like, yeah, breaking Mary Poppins. That's probably it. <laughs> That's a good one. Um, yeah. Of course, it's been years since I've seen Mary Poppins. Oh, like, it's an old really yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you regular watch it of it now still? Do you? Yeah, if it's on, I'll watch it. Sure. I mean, I mm. for my birthday this year, my partner took me to see the uh, the West End version of it, which was lovely. Um, I'd oh, never okay. I'd never seen it, and I just got really emotional watching it. Um, mm. but yeah, like if it's on over Christmas or whatever, I'll definitely watch it. And it's it's on Disney Plus now, so oh, you okay. know, no, no VHS breaking for me anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, it's just when you're a kid, you always have that one film that you like obsess over, don't you? You know. Like mm. like kids these days might watch like Frozen or something. Like for me, it was it was Mary Poppins. <laughs> mm. yeah. I think mine would have been Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Oh, sure that's I remember that's, watching that. Oh, loads. classic! Yeah, love that. Yeah. Love that. Um, probably get that in Disney Plus now as well. Probably yeah, something like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, the Little Mermaid, I'm sure as well. I watched loads. Oh, that maybe. was a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Anything Disney proper? Yeah, mm. it would have been. Yeah, it would have been. And then again, they've got. Jason and Freddy <laughs> and Ghostface on a t-shirt, so it's kind of changed a wee bit. You've got to have the balance, you know, you've got to have both. Yeah, and I've, I've got a four-year-old now, so I get enough. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> the, the cartoons and the Disney, it was troll and, uh, Trolls and Trolls 2 today. Oh, God, yeah. After, after Black Panther. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, what do you think of the sequel or reboot type thing with Emily Blunt? Is that a... I liked it. It was nice, you know, and mm. I think you can never fully compare with Julie Andrews, though, can you? I mean, she's kind of the, the OG. Um, but I do think yeah. for, for a new generation of, of Mary Poppins fans, it's, it's they're both nice films, you know? Yeah. And I think Emily Blunt is doing so well at the moment. Like, she's she's in the English for BBC at the moment. Like, she was in A Quiet Place, so she's, she's pretty big. <laughs> Mm, um, so yeah. I, I, I like the reboot, but like I would always go back to the the nineteen sixty God whatever it's in the sixties. It's that era. Right. <laughs> I would always right. go back to that film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. fair. I've only seen the, the kind of remake, uh, reboot, sequel, whatever. I think it's a sequel, isn't it? Really? Is it kind of? Yeah, it's because really it's called like Mary Poppins Returns, isn't it? Returns. So it's, it's yeah. meant to be like when she comes back. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've seen it once um, in a theatre. It was okay. It was never. One of those ones I watched it, thought that was fine. Don't know if I'd go back to watch it again and mm. again, unless kid wants to watch it. But that'll be a wee while away. She's still a bit young for the full-on live-action style movies, even if it's got a wee bit of animation in it. Yeah. She's still not too sure. <laughs> it's super califragilistic, expialidocious, even though the sound of it is something quite atrocious. If you say it loud enough, you'll always sound precocious. Super califragilistic, expialidocious. Um, so, moving on then to your favourite movie moment. Is that linked to Mary Poppins or is it something different? No, it's <laughs> it's, it's my first introduction into horror, actually. Um, cool. So my my mum, bless her, she is kind of the reason that I am who I am. She's a big horror fan. Um, so I remember, so, so <laughs> story time. Her and my stepdad went to see the, the first Saw film together. Um, back when I was way too young to actually watch it, so so when I was when I was about uh, fourteen, fifteen, it came on Channel Four, and I said to my mum, "Oh, please, can, can I watch Saw? I really want to watch Saw." And she was like, "Okay, you can watch Saw." 
Um, so I watched the first Saw film, and it's the it's the ending shot for me when he gets up off the ground. You know, the mm. the, the big like the Hello Zep music kicks in, and you, you find out that he's not actually dead, and it's that wonderful end scene. To and I was like, whoa, like that was. It's always stuck in my mind, and I I love the Saw movies. Like I've got a jigsaw tattoo. Like I love it. Okay. So um, that particular scene, but when John Kramer gets up off the floor, is my memorable moment because I remember just being like, "Whoa!" Mm. <laughs> it blew my mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember I, again. I would have been too young to see it in the cinema, but I had it in DVD when it came out. Yeah, and it was it was such a cultural phenomenon. You saw, yeah, out with the, even the the sequels. The first one just blew up, and yeah. I think people just love a twist ending as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. I didn't see that coming at all. And I mean, I've got some time for the sequels, some less than others, but I mean, they're just a good fun horror movies to watch as well. I think the first one as well, like, you know, but I, I remember the marketing really, really distinctly. And it had like, you know, like Danny Glover, Carrie Elwes and all these big names mm. on it. Yeah. And like nobody knew what the hell this film was about. You know, yeah. it was all yeah. like, oh, come and see this film. And everyone was like, what? And like, I think, you know, if we if we disregard the sequels for a second just as a standalone mm. like, like thriller horror, I mm. think people back in 2004 going to see that were kind of like, whoa, what is this? You know, like it was right. like you say, it was a phenomenon because it was so well, well awful, really. <laughs> like when you think mm. about it, like it was it was horrible. Yeah, you know, it's quite um, I think when you compare it in, a, as you said, as a standalone, it's great on its own mm. but it's also not as viscer- viscerally violent as the sequels no. it's quite no. low on proper full-on mm-hmm. gore in comparison i mean it's still a, a violent film but um i think that kind of sometimes gets overlooked with it and m- maybe gets um kind of bundled in with like eli ross hostel yeah as that kind of era which i really dislike eli ross movies so okay. <laughs> I, can't, I can't get the hostel movies at all but um it was almost kind of seven esque yep. in the style of like Fincher style movie. It was great. Yeah, and I think you know sometimes less is more. Like, don't get me wrong, I love a gory set piece. I think they're great, but mm-hmm. you know, in the case of Saw, you know that the bit where you know Carrie Elwes has his breakdown and starts hacking his foot off, and you don't see anything. It's a but, but, but you know fine well what's going on. So your brain goes to that place without yeah. actually seeing what he's doing, and mm-hmm. sometimes that can be more powerful. Because your head's like, whoa, fuck it! It just, it just knows what's happening <laughs> without it like showing you like his foot. It doesn't. It doesn't need to because no. you know it's just just his face alone. You're like, oh god, like it's not nice. Um, right. And then obviously, as they they moved on, they became very violent. <laughs> like <laughs> like the third one is like, oh, that gets me. Like the the pig mm. vat thing. I'm like, nah, that's grim. <laughs> mm. But is yeah. it, um, <laughs> have you seen Spiral? I have. I wasn't a massive fan of it. It was all right. No. It was all right. The, the, the traps were great. Uh, <laughs> Chris Rock, not so great. <laughs> no, no, he wasn't. He did. He, yeah. he, he stuck out like a sore thumb, and I hate to say it because I know he, he's a big fan of it and respect, but he just didn't really fit in. You know. No. He was too shouty. He just shouted all the way through it. Yeah, but he was really cringy as well. You know, when he was like arguing with the police, like uh, chief, and like mm. kind of just like, but he. He was trying to be serious, but like he, it was it was funny, and it, yeah, it, it, Chris Rock. it shouldn't have been funny. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. see him shouting, and it's just like him shouting, and like yeah. when he's playing the Apostle and Dogma or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> like he's an ex- shouts in that. He's an excellent comic, but I just don't think he's suited to horror, sadly. Yeah, I know. I think they've got a, a follow-on coming or Jigsaw or something. It's called or 
so of ten. I've seen oh, that yeah, so, next year. Or... So ten, like Tobin Bell's back. So I don't know what the hell they're doing because he <laughs> he died in three. Let's not forget that. Yeah, <laughs> like, what, what's going on? Like, it's just mad, mm. isn't it? Mm. Yeah. I'm sure we'll find some way it'll be flashbacks or it'll be. I don't know, maybe a prequel to Saw. I remember actually, I've got a funny little story about actually, because I went to see Jigsaw with uh, with my partner and um, I don't normally do this, but I I drank a fair bit and I I had to go to the loo. I was like, okay, give me a sec. And then I came back (laughs) and in Jigsaw, obviously, you know, you kind of have like, we assume Jigsaw's dead at this point. So right. I, I came back in and Jigsaw was there. I was like, what have I missed here? <laughs> like, like I'd left at the wrong time. I was like, oh, for right. God's sake. <laughs> like, what, what flashback have I missed? But yeah, it's, anno- it's annoying when they do that because they're just bringing him back in. It's like, this guy is dead. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it's just because Tobin Bell's so good, I suppose. Actually. Oh, he's um, fantastic, isn't he? Yeah, um, mm. I do want to do the um, escape room in London. It looks really fun. Yeah, the saw experience or something like that. Yeah. Um, is, 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 yeah, it says voice has done it. Is he it is, yeah, yeah. Well? Oh, right, yeah. yeah, that'd be good. I've never, I've never <laughs> done an escape room. I think it would be a really cool place yeah, to right. start. <laughs> hmm, so. Definitely, especially if you're a fan of the movies as yeah. well. It'd be great. I had a kind of similar um, toilet break moment this year during the Batman. <laughs> and the action had kind of died down. And I said, right, I'll just go to the toilet now. And I came back and my wife told me that you just missed like a big bit of plot explanation. And, oh, um, it's it so annoying, like, Alfred, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, Alfred was in the bed and Bruce was talking to him or something. I can't oh, exactly. yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Like, Aye, there's a big exposition dump there. <laughs> I feel like, you know, as cinema goers, you always go to the toilet at the wrong time. Like, you, you think you're not because you're like, okay, so nothing can possibly happen. But then it does and you're like, fuck, <laughs> Yeah, so it was if you were in it yourself as well. I've done that when I've been on my own, and then you just come in and you really not get a fucking clue. Oh, going literally. <laughs> I, was, I was like, why is he still alive? Like, what the fuck? Like, ridiculous, yeah. Aye. I even had it today. I went to see Wakanda Forever, and yeah. I had a couple of sweet treats. I went, I need to go and get something savoury. So I went to the salted popcorn, and the, the queue was just the actually the most annoying people when they were going to the cashiers and I get held up Aww. and I walked, I walked, I missed the first kind of two or three minutes uh, Wakanda forever, which, I mean, again, not going to give it away because it's only been out a week, but it's probably the, the heartbreaking part or the hardest part to, to watch. I think everyone kind of knows what's going to happen with it, but yeah, yeah still, still, I didn't cry, but I'm, actually, I'm not much of a movie crier, but it still got me. Oh, I really want to say it, like, but I know it's gonna it's gonna hit me in the feels. So, yeah, yeah, yeah it's um, yeah, it's tough going, but it's well done. It's just a wee bit long. It's nearly three hours. Oh, it is long, it's, isn't it? Yeah, uh, like, yeah. Films are getting longer though. I swear, like they just yeah. It's, yeah, you either get your ninety minute horrors or you have to be in there for three three and a half hours. <laughs> Literally, like, <laughs> yeah. Damien, like, is Damien Chazelle's new one? His is like three hours and fifteen minutes. Oh, um. What's that called? Babylon. Babylon, thank you, yes. Mm. God. I mean, it, it looks cool, but... It's been getting panned a bit, I think, from what I've seen mm. in the reviews. Um, I think it's a bit of a misstep, but it'll be okay. I'll give it a watch. I, I like the trailer, but then I like the trailer, and then I, I read reviews, and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, dear. I, can, I, can, I, think I suppose everyone likes what they like, and I would still watch it. I'm not a massive Chis- uh, Damien Chiselle fan. Like, I like La La Land, and that's maybe about it that it has. Yeah. Um, wasn't it Whiplash or um, First Man? I love Whiplash. Like, oh, that's a shame. I, I, yeah, I was, we were saying about Barbarian. Yeah. On, I was the same with kind of Whiplash. Everyone else seemed to love it, and I just, just annoyed me. Like, I think <laughs> what I will say is both those films kind of go into the, the overhyped kind of film uh, category, don't they? Right. 
So yeah, maybe that's... that doesn't help when everyone's like, oh, this is so good. You go in and you're like, is it? Like, <laughs> so I can understand right. that, yeah. Right. But not you. Not anymore. Um, so we were talking a wee bit about limbs getting chopped off and that. Um, <laughs> going to segue into the director you've picked, and yeah. one of his movies involves cutting limbs off, mm-hmm. um, and it's Danny Boyle. Yeah. So, what's your relationship with his movies? How did you find them? Can you remember the first time kind of picking up a Danny Boyle movie? Yeah. So um, when I decided I was going to go to university to do film studies, my mum, being the, the film buff that she is basically said that you can't go and study film unless you've seen a bunch of films that she'd picked out. <laughs> so mm-hmm. she, took, she took me to HMV, and among those films were Shallow Grave and Trainspotting. Um, and we watched both of those in an afternoon. <laughs> and I was just like, my mind was blown. And I was like, what a storyteller. What, what a fantastic, you know, like, but both of those, you know, they're both set in Scotland. They're both very character driven. I was, mm-hmm. I was like, this is brilliant. What a, I, I never heard of Danny Boyle, you know, like, I think, I'd fallen into like the sort of young teenager sort of just watching like action films and whatever. Like I, like I, yeah. I, I was born in 1995. So Charlotte Grave came out a year before I was even born. So like, I'd, I'd never heard of these films. So my mm. mom was kind of like, right. <laughs> so I watched Charlotte Grave especially. And like, we'll talk about it, but I just remember being like, wow, what a film. <laughs> like just, I loved right. it. Like I loved the sound design. I loved how, how nineties it was. I just loved like all the actors in it. Oh, it was brilliant. And I just, I remember just being like, I need to watch the rest of his stuff. So I watched those two films and then I just went and like found his other ones as well. Mm. So it would have been 28 days later was the next one I watched. And then obviously there was a bit of a gap and then we get into 127 hours, which is my personal favorite. Um, I just, I just love Danny Boyle's sort of, what's the word? Like people in predicaments, they're just normal people that get themselves into yeah. situations, you know, and I just Aye. think it's, they're very often relatable people and often people that you, you know, like your neighbour, you could like relate to them, but they get Definitely, themselves yeah. in situations where you're like, oh my God, this is wild. Like, Aye. I love just, just his style. I, just, I don't know, I can't, I can't even explain it properly and I really should have learned how to do this, but I just, I just mm. think he's an incredible director. I just think, yeah. you know, he's evil eyes so heavily on music as well. Like just his music is just perfect. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, just, um, I love him. <laughs> Aye. <laughs> I think my um, my first introduction would have been The Beach. Oh, interesting, yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think how it came about was I'd done a book report on the, the Alex Garland book, um, and it had DiCaprio on the front mm. of the book because the movie had already been out, so it was a case of going back and watching it. And that was a movie maybe a bit polarising, but yeah. I love it. I think The Beach is a great movie. Yeah, The, um, the Beach is great, I think. Uh, Ewan McGregor was supposed to be in it, but him and Danny Ball got into a fight famously. <laughs> oh, did they? Yeah. So they, so we recast. It was supposed to be Ewan McGregor, yeah. Oh, um, he was meant to be in the Leo role. Yeah. Oh, that would be interesting. <laughs> like obviously, That's... obviously that they since made up because of um, because of T two Trainspotting, obviously. Mm, yeah. Um, right. But but whatever happened, it was and DiCaprio <laughs> was good. You know, like he was. Yeah. He he was. A, I liked the beach. It was it like you say. It's quite it's quite divisive. I think. Actually, mm. it's very different for the book. I think, from what yeah. I remember correctly, it's been years since I've watched or read either either a part of it. But yeah, I remember. I think especially the ending. I think it's got a massive detour. It's Tilda Swinton as well, and isn't she? And I believe so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's the kind of camp owner or camp leader type thing in it. Yeah, I remember that was my first 
main introduction to him and then it would have been 28 Days Later as well. Yeah, 28 Days Later yeah. is, is probably the one that, like, you say Danny Boyle and people will probably say that one, I think. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And he's he's really good, obviously, we've you mentioned um, his, his way of getting normal people, ordinary people in, in extraordinary situations. Yep. And he's very good as well at kind of um, book adaptations as well. He seems to be really strong. So we've had Slumdog, we've had um, Train Spotting, uh, the beach. Is any of these work that's been books? I think that's. I mean, one hundred twenty-seven hours is based on the guy's book. You know, the, the real life right, guy. Okay. So, so technically, yeah. yes, it's, it's not autobiography, yeah. but yes, it, it's still you know his real life. Yeah. So I, th- I think he's, but, he's quite good at, at adapting things. Yeah. 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 Because some, sometimes you get that with. Because I mean, I would imagine when you take the concept one hundred twenty-seven hours and try to think of it as a movie, it doesn't sound like it would work. <laughs> Um, but he just does so well with it. Um, yeah. Same similar like a movie I remember seeing the cinema um, phone booth. And I said that's not going to work. It's a guy oh. in a phone booth for ninety minutes, and I loved phone booth. I thought it was a great. I movie, love but... a one location movie. I love. Mm. I don't know. Have you seen Buried with Ryan Reynolds? Yeah, yeah. I great. love that because one of my yeah. biggest fears is being buried alive. <laughs> So, I mean, it's an ultimate horror movie for no, you. Nobody wants it. Let, let, let's, let's be real. Aye. But like, I'm, I'm, I do not like closed spaces. So I was watch, watching that. Like, this is incredible. Like, it was so good. Aye. Yeah. Yeah, it was excellent. Yeah. yeah. Aye. Again, that's a movie. You think is that going to work? And to somehow it, it does. does. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, really um, what we'll do then? We've kind of mentioned. 127 hours there. We'll start with that. Sure. Um, just, I was going to start with Shallow Grave, but we'll just we'll go 127 hours. Okay. Um, there must be some fucking chemical. In your brain. Oh! That makes us different from animals. Makes us all the same. <laughs> <laughs> makes you numb. Take it, makes you come. Take it, makes you You lost? I'm a guide. What'd he say? Well, the guidebook says that the route's through here. But I know a better way. Oh, you have to remember so that everything will be okay. So this is obviously based on someone's real life. So it's based on a mountaineer called Aaron Ralston, who became stuck in Utah's Blue John Canyon after his arm got trapped underneath an 800-pound boulder. Um, And he's stuck there for, as the title suggests, 127 hours, which I believe is about five days, roughly. Yeah, it must not be far off. Something like that. Yeah. It's long. He was there for a long time. Mm. 
Yeah. So Aaron Ralston, like I said, it was a real life. Well, he, he's still going, bless him. He's a, he's a real life mountaineer who went on this expedition, didn't tell a soul that he was there, which was his big mistake. Yeah. Um, obviously, went into this canyon, boulder fell on his arm, and he was stuck. And that's most of the film is in this canyon with James Franco, like you said, one mm. location. Does it work? Yeah. It does work. Mm. Yeah, it works really well. Um, and yeah. I think, like, the cinematography of this works really well. Like, it's a real mm. kind of scope of the landscape and the, the kind of isolation that Aaron's stuck with facing really yeah. well. And I think that's one of the strengths of it. Um, you mentioned there it's James Franco. Um, mm-hmm. Nowadays, a problematic character. There's been accusations. I don't know. I've never read up fully how it's went from after that. We can kind of touch on that a wee bit, but I think the main thing is just talking about him in the world of this movie. How do you feel he kind of holds it? Because he's not your typical, certainly dramatic leading man. No. I was going to say this, like, obviously, I think it's important we acknowledge that, you know, some, mm. some things have happened, so just take that with a pinch of salt. Um, mm. But I think it was nice to see him at the time in a role that wasn't comedic and in a role that was actually a very serious role. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I think he did a fantastic job because, you know, it the camera is mostly on him. It's mostly about his predicament. He's stuck there, you know, all his efforts to survive. You know, he's chip, chipping away at this rock. He's trying to use all of his tools at his disposal. But it, it feels very raw and it feels very like you're stuck in there with him. And it, he did a great job, I think. Um, there's one notice, notable scene for me, though, the, um, the, the, the talk show scene when he's down there. It was kind of like good morning, blah blah blah, from the canyon, and then it's, that's almost comedic, but yeah, it ends on a very sad note, if that makes sense. Aye. So he does that really well. Then he's kind of like, oh, we're interviewing Aaron from from Canyon, and then blah blah blah, and then and then he's like, oh, you didn't tell anybody where you were going, and, that, and he's like, no, and then he just goes, oops, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of Aye. comedic in that sense, but it's all also very sad. Yeah, yeah. I think it does it does really well. We need. And as I say, talking at it from a lens we're looking in now, he's very likable in this yeah. beforehand. Obviously, he's arrogant in terms of the decisions he makes when he's going out uh, canyoning. Yeah. Um, but when he meets up with Kate Mara's character and her friend, um, and he comes across friendly and approachable and nice and just seems like a good guy. The character Aaron, um, certainly in the movie, seems yeah. that way. I don't know what he was like in, in real life, but yeah. Yeah. I did read about because um, I'm I'm fascinated. I, I should probably mention this. Like I'm fascinated with like um, escape. Well, uh, sorry, that's not even a word. Excuse me. Escapist films where mm. so like like touching the void, for example. Like I love things where like you know people have been stuck in predicaments they have to get out. Yeah. So I I read so much on Aaron Ralston. I went on like National Geographic. I read everything about him. Um, sure. There was a the rescue team did an interview and they actually said the one thing the media got wrong was depicting him as a hero because he was actually a very irresponsible man. Like, yeah. he shouldn't have gone down there by himself. It was very reckless. Um, he, he was arrogant. But I do think, you know, reading his autobiography, which is actually called um, Between a Rock and a Hard Place, which is hilarious. Like, <laughs> what, else, what, what else would you call it? <laughs> I love that. So in, in his book, he even acknowledges, look, I was a prick. Right. And I think looking at it, like, now that he's escaped and he's safe and he's, he's living... He acknowledged that he was a young, I, you know, I'm invincible. I can go down this canyon by myself kind of guy. And then it was a bit yeah. of a reality check. So I think he was nice at heart, but he also he was just too arrogant and too self-centered and too, yeah, like, like you know, there was, you know, he wouldn't like bring his mum back and that kind of thing. You know, like it was, you see that in the right. film, like just little yeah. things like, come on, Aaron, come on. 
Um, I, I don't think he meant to be bad, but he just sort of was. Aye, just yeah. the kind of brash and exactly yeah. self confident type of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as as you said, it's Franco does great with the the material, and mm-hmm. it was interesting seeing him in that style of movie because before then it would been like Pineapple Express and movies of that ilk. And <laughs> I, I, I like Pineapple Express. It's a mm. favourite. I mean, actually, watch comedy wise, I really like it. Um, but that was just his role. It was almost like a Sean William Scott type before that. Yeah. And I think the only other time seen him having any sort of serious acting was the the Spider Man movies, and he wasn't very good in them. Like, <laughs> I never saw them. <laughs> you never seen the the, the Raimi Spider Man? No, no, I'm not no. really big into uh, controversy. I'm not really big into like comic books. I kind of like I'm very hit and miss with them. <laughs> mm. yeah. It's yeah, I mean they're they are what they are for the time, and they have some of my favourites. But he's bad in them. He's quite bad in them. <laughs> so you just can't pull the emotional okay. kind of furrowed brow off very well but he does great in this so he's obviously improved over time um so danny boyle as a director is he said he's good at portraying character but he's a guy that has kind of crossed genres quite a lot mm. and i think in this you see that side of him in the kind of hallucination scenes where it's quite nightmarish or mm. even horror driven some of them. How do you feel he pulls them off? There's one in particular. Um, it's just like a flash of a Scooby Doo balloon in the canyon. It just it's almost like a jump scare. <laughs> yeah, this is very good into showing. Like by this point, like Aaron is delirious. He's he's drinking mm. his own piss. He has yeah. he hasn't eaten in about God knows when. So he's completely delirious. Mm. Um, so he's he's recalling all the things that he saw. I think on the on the drive down here, or or, or things he's seen when he was driving. So the Scooby Doo was a big inflatable outside someone's house. I think it was. So, mm-hmm. yes, he, again, that's quite funny. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, oh, it says. It's also nightmarish because, like you <laughs> say, like Aaron's in this canyon by himself and he's sat there and he's thinking about this Scooby Doo thing in front of his face. And it's like, this is it. It's like what I imagine being on LSD would be like. Like, it's just mad. Mm. You know, because I've yeah. never done it. Just, just disclaimer. Um, <laughs> like, what I would imagine it would be like. Um, yeah, so that, there's that. And there's also the, the bit when he imagines the flash flood in the canyon as well, which I am terrified mm. of because because he would have just been he would have been drowned, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. and there's so many sequences like that in in this film, which I think reflect Aaron's mental state <laughs> mm. and how you're like you're not having a good time, are you? <laughs> like you're really no. not. Like, and th- there is another montage when he's thinking about like because he that's it. He gets invited to like the party, doesn't he? You know the girls that he met beforehand. Yeah, that's. That's what the Scooby Doo thing comes that's from, it. isn't it? Because they say there's a Scooby Doo balloon outside the house. That's it. Uh, Sorry, yeah. I was just going to mention because he starts thinking about like beer and coke and stuff, doesn't he? As well. Aye. Because <laughs> obviously that's going to be at the party. So we sat there thinking Aye. about this big Scooby Doo balloon and thinking about like bottles of Budweiser, and he's just lying there like, oh god. <laughs> <laughs> and you're right; it's almost like torture because this poor man, mm. like he can't get and- at that party. <laughs> No, no, he's no chance. <laughs> even, <laughs> even in the canyon, kind of flooding scene as well. It, it, in his nightmare or dream or hallucination, he breaks free. Yep. And his first thought is uh, to drive to his ex girlfriend, Clement Posey. Oh yeah. Who is really in this? Really, actually, she's barely in it. I thought she'd been in it. Yeah, more. He's, not, um, he's not in it a lot. <laughs> uh, and the, but he opens the door to her, and she just looks at him, and then just goes no, and shuts the door. Yeah. So it's even more nightmarish for him. Like he's imagined escape, and he still can't get really what he wants I suppose and what he's kind of given away and he's yeah. things he's regretted from before 
I think it's what I love about this, and like I, I do think it's quite similar from what Aaron actually did experience because like Danny Boyle mm. did read read the the book, and and I think he did consult with Aaron. I'm pre- I'm pretty sure they had a conversation because obviously you're talking about someone's real life here, so you know you've got to be a bit careful. But I do, yeah. I do think he was sat down there and he was thinking, I'm going to die here because you would. Um, and he was he was going through all of his like bad life choices, like like his ex girlfriend, things he hadn't yeah. done. You know, he's he's having all these like flashbacks to like playing the piano with his mum. You know, mm. all these things that he's, he thinks he'll never do again. Or, or or be able like you know all these loose ends like you know if he became a ghost he would be like stuck on this earth because he couldn't he couldn't fix them yeah and so many regrets. it's very sad because he's mm. basically sat down there and all you've got is your own brain because you haven't got anything to play with you haven't got any you know tv or anything so he was just sat there like right i'm just thinking about everything <laughs> i've done wrong yeah and it's it, it's it's traumatizing you know mm. Your mind's the worst place you can be stuck when you've got nothing else Absolutely. to think about. It's like you go everywhere with all sorts of thoughts. And yep. we've all uh, we've all been there, haven't we? Like we're on the bus and our phones died, and we're sat there like, <laughs> yeah. And, and you do go there, so imagine doing that. Like when you're stuck, you'd be like, oh my god, aye. like aye. it'd be insane. I face your own mortality as well. It'd be, it'd be <laughs> times a hundred. I think horrible. Yeah, yeah, it'd be awful. Um, aye. oh god, that time I said something to someone when I was thirteen. They just like you would do just, that, wouldn't you? You'd be, you'd be sat there going, "Well, I'm going to die. So let's reflect on everything that I've ever done wrong ever." Like that one time, aye. that one time I was sixteen and I said something embarrassing. It's like shit. So the the thing with this movie, when I remember when it was coming out, people talking about the big scene of it, the kind of arm cutting scene, mm. where Aaron has got the bluntest knife. Um, I think he, it's a throwaway. I think he said he got free by a flashlight, and he didn't bring his Swiss Army knife that he that he should have had, which might have made it a cleaner cut. Um, I yeah. can't imagine it would have been much better, but it, it wasn't great for him. I think he, he breaks his own arm, doesn't he? As well, against like kind of pulls it to break it to then yeah. slice through everything, and it's horrific. Oh, it's horrible. And I think one of my favourite things, like going back in hindsight watching this film, is at the begin- very beginning of the film, you see him packing things and he goes past his Swiss Army knife and you're like, no, you're going to need that. <laughs> um, yeah, it's basically, and I, like, again, in, 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 the, in the book, you know those like photo pages you have in, like, in somebody's biography? Yeah. There's a photo of the knife and you're like, fucking hell. Like, how, <laughs> how did you, it, it's blunt as hell. Right. And like bear in mind he was chipping away at the rock with it as well so it would have made it worse because when it, when he's first in there he thinks oh I'm just going to start chipping and maybe I'll dislodge it if I just keep chipping right. and then the more he does that the more it like obviously blunts it and it's oh so y- mm. yeah you're right he does he breaks it one way again against the the boulder and then he pulls it back the other way right. so it's a clean break of the arm and James Franco's screaming in this is particularly good mm. because he kind of shrieks with like this sort of like laugh as well of almost Aye. like, come on, let's do it. You know, like he's, he's almost Aye. like he's ready. He's like, the adrenaline would kick in. You're like, right. <laughs> and it's the most disturbing laugh I've ever heard. I'm like, oh my God, like it's it's horrible. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, it's grim. It's, um, yeah, there's, there's one particular point he's trying to tell himself not to pass out. And I think is it, it might be a bit of tendon or something that he can't seem to break through. It's like a wee white sinewy bit. Oh, yeah. And that's where you get the biggest scream from him. He just can't get through it and eventually just breaks through and it's just and Danny Boyle doesn't flinch away from it but at the kind of point of the the arm ripping off you don't see maybe as much like there's no pulling away and things like close up on the arm at that but at the actual the point of 
him making his way through the muscle, he does not flinch away from showing that there. Oh, yeah, and you've got that horrible screeching noise, which is kind of like the operation game you play, you know, as a kid when you're kind of... <laughs> it's almost... I, I, I think I think that's what it was supposed to be, you know, like when, when you touch the edge of the operation game, it, it screams at you. Mm. But I think that's what it was trying to do, is almost like, stop, stop doing it, and then he's... Oh, it's it's grim, isn't it? Like, Yeah. Like, I've seen a lot of horror, but even <laughs> even that, I was like, oh, because I think it's because it actually happened. So in, yeah, my, in my head, definitely. I'm like, you did that. Oh, my God. Mm. Like, apparently, it took him about an hour. And I'm like, well, shit. <laughs> yeah. That'd have been awful. I know. Like, you, can't, you can't even imagine the, the kind of pain or even the mental strength you would have to do to get the determination. So many people would have just not even tried it. They just let themselves. And, and considering you've been down there, like, you know, literally drinking your own piss and, like, no water, no food, mm. you've got to do yeah. that. Like, like literally, I'm I'm such a baby. Like, if I cut myself when I'm shaving, I'm like, oh, that really hurts. Like, I cannot <laughs> imagine cutting my own arm off. I'm sorry. I mean, not mm. not many people can. No, I just do not think I could do it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think I would. I don't even think the thought would come into my head. Although, I mean, if it did now, I'd probably think, oh, this is like that movie, 127 hours. <laughs> I'm going to have to cut my own arm off. Oh, like, oh, not this. <laughs> I think actually, but prior to the cutting scene as well, doesn't he just like jam the knife in his arm? Just, yeah, I think it's gets, maybe the day before. He gets angry and just fucking shoves it in there. Aye, and then he's like, aye. oh shit. And then he's, he realises that he can keep going. And you're like, ah, stop. Like. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. so um, that's how, essentially, that's the kind of, there's a wee bit more going on after it, like his rescue and mm-hmm. escaping the canyon and meeting people to get him help and explains that he still goes and mountain climbs and whatever else you do, spunking. Um, mad lad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he still does it, but he tells everyone where he's going now. Um, yeah, I like that at the end of the film when it was like, he always leaves a note to see where he's going. It's like, good. Like, <laughs> like, never do that the, again. It's <laughs> the least you could do. What if the note falls off the table? I know. <laughs> like, fucking hell. At least now, you just, you've got the satellite phones and things. I'm assuming we'd be better prepared this time. But yeah. Yeah. So is this your favourite Danny Boyle film then? Yeah. Yeah, I think, like I say, because of my sort of love of survival films and, you know, things like Touching the Void and, you know, like, when I was growing up, like, my stepdad would always have on, like, you know those National Geographic things when it's, like, extreme mountaineering and whatever, like, I I used to watch the shit out of that stuff, so I'm fascinated by the human will to survive, it sounds really wanky, I know, mm. but, like, just, just the, no, no. The, the way people will, if, if they're in there, they're like, right, I either die or I get out, and I just mm. think it's it's a really fascinating story, and I also think that Yes, what Aaron did is incredible, but it's also important. You know, it's important to hold him to account and be like, "Well, that was stupid, wasn't it?" Like, <laughs> so, yeah, so, so I do think it's it's a learning curve as well. And I just think, you know, I love I love the soundtrack in this as well. Like, there's, there's things like Bill Withers in this, like lovely day, ironically, you know, like just little, just little things like that. Um, I think it's a great film, and I think as because I love like one location things too. Like I said, so like buried and and phone booth. Um, mm-hmm. So controversially, this is my favorite one. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good choice, eh? Um, it's, it's it was the first time I'd watched it, and maybe since the cinema actually, it mm. might have been since the cinema. Um, oh, so seeing that in the cinema was rough. Like I remember all, <laughs> all the reactions, like oh god, like <laughs> yeah, aye. Yeah. Especially people that maybe just like, saying being a horror fan, we're kind of maybe not numb to it, but but more capable of dealing with it. I, I remember uh, people actually, that aren't maybe not actually, funnily enough so when it came out it was what 2010 was it when it came out I think so yeah, so yeah it was so it was. good few years ago but when I went to see it and I, I got a ticket the, the usher bless him kind of looked at me like are you sure and I was like yeah 
like I, I understand where he was coming from, but I'm like, my guy, I'm very much aware of this case. Like it's fine. Like, <laughs> aye, I can handle it. <laughs> 2010. Yeah. 2010. I yeah, I thought like, it was, but yeah, I just recall that like very distinctly. This guy being like looking at me up and down, like, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I can handle it. Don't worry. <laughs> It's um, it's a it's a it's a, a rough scene, but yeah, it's a a, a great movie, a great movie. I say mm. Franco's great in it, and I mean it's got a really good cast as well. Um, Kate Mara, uh, Clemens Posey, um, there's someone I recognised as well, and I looked her up after it, and she was in Cloverfield. Oh yeah, and I, I think it's his sister. She's like a family member, right? It's in the wedding. I think she's in the wedding dress. Mm-hmm. And she's in Cloverfield, if you can remember Cloverfield. She's the one that gets bitten yeah. by one of the bugs and explodes behind the tarpaulin type of thing, whatever goes on with her. And I've seen her there, and I went, oh, it's strange that she's just, after one of the biggest movies of the, that kind of era, I suppose, with Cloverfield. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that was uh, 127 Hours, your favourite Danny Boyle movie. So we'll go on now to... I think this, is this his first feature, Shallow Grave? Shallow Grave, yeah, it's his first feature-length one, yeah. Well, are you comfortable, Cameron? Tell me, Cameron, just tell me, because I'd like to know. What on earth could make you think we'd want to share a flat like this with someone like you? <laughs> I'd like to ask you about your hobbies. Why do you want a room here? If you smoke. You must be Hugo. So I can have the room? Yes, you can have the room. Yeah, Hugo, can you open your door? Alex, what are you doing? I'm just looking. Don't. Don't look. No. It's not every day I find a story in my own flat. It's not a story, Alex. It's a corpse. It's a sick idea, Alex. It's sick. Well, go ahead, then. Telephone. Telephone the police. Tell them there's a suitcase full of money and you don't want it. I can't do it. It's been a struggle, but now our days of worry are over. To love and to happiness forever. <laughs> and the other three people living in the flat? There are only two other people in the flat. Make a note of that, Mitchell. Only three rather than four. They know. So they know. He's right, Alex, they know. You're frightened. I'm not frightened. I'm a little terrified, maybe. They went up there alive and they came back down dead. You're looking for me? If you can't trust your friends, well, what then? What then? So, we've got... Three flatmates living in Edinburgh. We've got Juliet, played by Kerry Fox, David, played mm-hmm. by Christopher Eggleston, and Alex, played by Ewan McGregor. They, um, after a, a, a quite funny interviewing process, uh, bring mm. in a new um, flatmate called Hugo, played by Keith Allen. Uh, and one day they discover Hugo dead, but loaded with cash, and they, they, they decide to keep the money for themselves and dispose of Hugo's body. Which mm. is, and then obviously things unfold. It's a, it's a Aye. very interesting film. <laughs> mm. Sets off a chain of events that oh, go places that I wasn't mm. expecting. Oh yeah. So this was a, this was a first time watch for me actually. Yeah. I'd never seen this. Oh yeah, nice, 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 nice. Yeah, it was literally, literally 
I, I did watch it in kind of chronological boil order, so yeah, it was my first of, of his films, yeah. Right, cool. Uh, it was, um, <laughs> I'd heard of it and I knew about it, and for some reason I was picturing uh, the front cover of I Spit on Your Grave, not Shallow Grave. It's very different. <laughs> very <really>. different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, this was great for, a, like I said, first time watching, the, mm. again, um, the cast that he's got for this, for a, a which I suppose at the time it maybe wasn't the the premier cast that you maybe see it as now, but um, it's fantastic. What do you think then overall about the, the three central performances? I mean, Hugh McGregor is a bit of an arrogant dick as Alex. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I think Kerry, uh, Kerry Fox is a wee bit arrogant as Juliet as well. The, one, the kind of outsider is David's just a bit of weirdo. Yeah, so what I was going to say, I've made a few notes here, I think. What I was going to say yeah. is that you could consider them quite morally questionable people. You know, like during during the interview scene when they're, they're getting people to come and you know look at the spare room, they're not very nice people. No, you know, like especially you and McGregor, like you said, I think he is probably the worst out of the three. Mm. And we'll come on to more about him later, <laughs> of course. But I think you and McGregor, he really goads people, and he's kind of like, so why should we have you like berating their personalities and this being horrible? And he's right. almost like the ringleader. And I think Juliet kind of follows, uh, Carrie Fox's character kind of follows in his footsteps a little bit. And, you know, yeah. she's trying to play both men a little bit as well. Like so the, the two of them are quite nasty. But then, like you say, David is a bit of a black sheep, is a bit of sort of like a chartered accountant. Mm. He's, his job's not as cool as theirs because, like, you know, Hugh McGregor is like a journalist and uh, Kerry Fox is like, a, I think she works in a hospital. Um, yeah. he's a boring accountant so he's, <laughs> you've got these personalities that just shouldn't work together you know what I mean and at first they seem like they're friends but obviously that disappears quite quickly yeah so it does <laughs> so they've made the, the choice essentially to keep uh, Hugo Keith Allen's money yep. to themselves and Barry's body in a shallow grave there we get the title card yeah. um, <laughs> they are like very even I think at the start when they're doing the interview process and Ewan McGregor's talking to the guy Cameron and he says we've already got one of you it's him and he's like pointing to David yeah he's this similar type of character <laughs> why the fuck do you think we would hang about with you almost like the school bully mm-hmm. type thing um gets them in a situation that makes them feel uncomfortable and then keeps pushing them yep. in that same way and that's kind of his relationship with David as it kind of as it develops um Christopher Eccleston's an interesting one. So the movie, obviously, I think it opens with his face, basically. It does, yeah. Um, and one thing I would say is, at one point, his Scottish accent got really bad because he was in G.I. Joe. I think the first G.I. Joe movie right. he's in. And he plays someone who is Scottish, and his accent was fucking rotten in G.I. <laughs> Joe. But it's not bad in this. So at some point, he just forgot how to do it. Um, but this is good uh, G.I. Joe he, oh, oh god there's a line in it and I cannot remember it for the life of me something happens and he gets metal melted on his face and there's now he says the words along the lines of and now I can join my ancestors like a oh, fucking god. Well, I, uh, I mean G.I. Joe is a bad movie anyway but Christopher Eccleston didn't help um, but yeah he's great in this like really really great in this I think he's the kind of standout Hugh McGregor's quite cocky and everything but mm. Christopher Eccleston gets more meat and more to chew on yep I do I'm a massive fan of Christopher Eccleston I think I do think he's the best doctor as well like controversially okay. you know I think out of all of them he was my favourite um, yeah. you know your, your listeners can disagree if they want to but I think he's 
I think he's the best. Um, yeah, so I think his character of David is an interesting one because, mm. like you said, he he does unfortunately draw the short straw when it comes to Dickie yeah. Fallon's body, and that wasn't great for him, really, was it? No. Um, no he's... There's a lack of sympathy as well there because it's just kind of like, well, you've done it, get on with it. And like the, yeah. the other two just do not care. Um, yeah. And I think even even just actually, I've just thought, it wasn't in my notes, but I've just thought, when they're rolling up his body, David does say to the rest of them, um, hey, has he got a family or friends? And and you, you McGregor turns around and goes, nah, he's a cracker, he hasn't got any friends. It? And it's just, it's just yeah. the, the disregard for this body, you know what I mean? So I yeah. think he, like, <laughs> Christopher Eccleston's David is trying his best to be like, hey, maybe we should, you know. Um, and then he's the one who has to chop it up, bless him. So it's just, it's yeah. just, yeah, they're, they're really difficult characters, I think. <laughs> Uh, and he has, he has mentioned more than once that I can't do it before. Yeah, absolutely. Even yeah. Had, before he even drew, drew the short straw. Mm. It's like, oh, no way I can do this. Yeah. And it's just, and then when they've chopped up his body and they're about to put him into the grave and he goes, right, that's me done. And Hugh McGregor's no one pulls out the hammer. The ham- pulls oh. out the hammer. It's just like, no, you're not finished yet. You need to get rid of his teeth, basically. And Oh, I hate this scene. Like it, it's so well done because you're mm. you're positioned far enough away from it to not be too close, but you know exactly what's going on. Yeah. And you have like the wretching, you have like kind of spit hanging out of Christopher Eccleston's face, you have like mm-hmm. the hacksaw, and you're like, it's not very nice. No. And then obviously, like you say, the hammer's passed on, you just you know what's happening. It's, yeah. it's a very good example, like I said before, with Saw, like, you know, like almost like less is, less is more. Like, yeah. you know, you know fine well what's going on. You're just like, oh, this poor guy, honestly, like it, it's horrendous. Yeah. He he's, already in the, he's already in the grave, isn't he? So you're seeing kind of above ground level. Yep. So you're never really seeing fully into the grave to Hugo's body. No. Um, which doesn't make much sense. Surely it would have made more sense to chop him up before and then you've got less weight to carry. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> no thinking of that, yeah. that fan advance. So because of the events of that night of having to kind of chop the body up, uh, David just starts going down a dark, dark path mm-hmm. into paranoia and madness, essentially. Yeah. And he starts living in the ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> and living in the in the loft, sorry, which is like electrical wires hanging out everywhere and he drills mm-hmm. holes in the ceiling so he can spy on everyone. It's such a strange turn and you, don't, you barely see him up until... Um, two hitmen turn up and he just kills the two of them and chucks them down the hole. Oh, it's mad, isn't right? it? But before he, he moves into the loft, though, like he's got this... My favourite scene. <laughs> I call it, I call it the spaghetti scene because it's when it's when they're cooking spaghetti bolognese and then they're like kind of criticising him for not eating. And then Aye. you think about what spaghetti bolognese is and it's the most meatiest flesh-looking <laughs> dish you could you could possibly cook, isn't it? The poor, poor Christopher Eccleston sat there like, I can't fucking eat this. Like, it's just grim, <laughs> this poor man. And then they, they're both giving out to him, like, oh, you should spend the money, you'll feel better. And then I think that was the catalyst for him going into the attic, like you said, because he's yeah. just like, I can't do this anymore. Like, it's, I don't know, like, the spaghetti scene is always, like, it's so, it's this very small scene, but it's just the, the thought of mm. trying to eat food like that when you've just cut someone up. It's like, oh, God, this poor man, like, Aye. poor guy. That looks like Hugo. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, <laughs> so he's just like, right, I'm off to the loft. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> the natural progression. He's still paying for his room, so he's making sure he's getting his money's worth. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then he's, as you said, he becomes more withdrawn and... It, Turns out he's got a psychotic edge to him because when these two hitmen turn up who are linked to you, we don't really know 
about the backstory to Hugo, really, and to the the hitmen, but they just know that they're after him. They don't know if that's his boss, their boss, or mm. he owes them money. It could be anything. It's kind of left quite ambiguous. Quite open, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, Peter Mullen is one of them. Um, and yeah, he, from being a guy that wasn't willing to cut up bodies, he's now happy to murder two guys. And then he goes and does the chopping up again for burying their bodies. <laughs> well, he's done it once. Let's <laughs> do it again. <laughs> yeah, and for a penny and for a pound. Poor guy, yeah. No, uh, it's just it's a it's a very I think Danny Boyle is quite good at doing like breakdown scenes, honestly. Like it's it's a very good but but all the way through I don't know about you, but I just felt so sorry for David. Hmm? I was like, this poor guy, man, like come on, like it's just and like I think what happens to him is so sad as well. Like Yeah. Yeah, I mean we can go with these movies, but I'm happy to go full spoilers. Um yeah. the kinda uh, come on now the actual the, the kind of the sort of twist ending. Um and I think it had maybe been foreshadowed before because I'm sure someone mentions money under the floorboards at the start. Why don't you put money under the floorboards like any normal fucker or something? I think you and McGregor maybe says. There's a lot of foreshadowing in this, in this film, actually. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's essentially a fight, a standoff between Alex, David and Juliet. Juliet's yeah. saying she's going to go away with Alex and then David gets the upper hand and he's got the money, so she's going to go with him. Yep. And then there's just a whole fight and David hits Juliet and eventually David gets he gets killed by Juliet mm-hmm. and Ewan McGregor's just impaled on the floor. <laughs> um, Juliet runs away thinking she's got the money and apologises, saying, I can't take you with me, I'm sorry. Which is, I mean, she could. Yeah. But <laughs> um, And it turns out that Ewan McGregor at some point has switched the money for paper and has the money buried in the floorboards of their flat. Yeah, directly under where he's been stabbed. It was a cracking ending. It's a brilliant ending, and I'm very good at predicting twist endings. And I did mm. not see this coming. <laughs> no, no, like, not at all. I knew you and McGregor's character had shady intentions. Like even the fact the grave was shallow. I mean, why would it be shallow? Like, like what's going on? Like, have you have you got in, have you got some intention going on here? Like, he's just he's a very shady guy. Um, even all the way through, I was like, there's something going on, but I did not expect him to have that ending. Yeah, because that must have been there for a while. Oh, yeah. But no one's looked at the money. Um, yeah. I think you see a scene, is he maybe actually in the loft? And is it in a tank? Is it maybe in a water tank or something? Yeah. In the loft, I think it's maybe been getting held. And yeah, and he's essentially the winner, although the police just are leaving him impaled on the floor, which I found really odd yeah. while they're taking their crime scene photos. Just, like, just, kind of just left them there. Yeah. Everyone's pottering about, the police are there, the, mm. the medics. I don't know if it's just a case of we can't move them because we don't know pulling this knife out might cause more damage, but yeah. it's, it's just quite darkly comic end to it. Yeah, it is actually a very darkly funny film, and I think it's one mm. of the reasons I like it so much, but yeah, you're right. Actually, you, you know, you said hard anyone's looked at the money, and it's almost like, what was the point? You know, like yeah. you've, you've gone through this entire thing. You've, you know, you've cut up your flatmate, you've, you've buried him, you've took his money, and for what? Because it's just been lying there the whole time, most of it. Yeah, <laughs> like, I think by a video camera and yeah, an electronic baby doll, and yeah. you McGregor's dressed as a is dressed kind of androgynously at one point, wearing the dress and makeup on and everything. At one point, they didn't buy reason. much though. Like, <laughs> No, no, what was there. Um, yeah. But yeah, and as you say, great ending. And I think it ends as well on David's face, doesn't it? With him having a, a monologue about having friends yeah, while so he's dead. It, it, it's, it's like a circular narrative, basically, because obviously mm. the, the first shot is, is of him 
and we assume he's just lying down and then it becomes apparent that he's actually dead. Yeah, <laughs> so it's quite through the throat. It's a very Shakespearean ending, I think. It's a very, like, bet- mm. betrayal, you know, kind of twist, like, you know, like, almost like Julius Caesar-esque sort of, like, why have you stabbed me kind of, you know, like, ending it. I think it's brilliant. Mm. Um, yeah. And, yeah, it's just, it's that brilliant shot of the, the camera just panning down beneath bleeding out Ewan McGregor to, like, the money, and you're like, oh, Aye. come on, like, it's brilliant, it's brilliant. <laughs> Such a snidey wee dickhead, isn't it? Yeah, I know. All the paper in uh, Kerry Fox's case as well were, were newspaper clippings from his newspaper as well. Aye, yeah, but reporting on the murder. Yeah, yeah. Aye. Uh, just knows exactly what he's doing so in it, but, yeah. yeah, as I said, this was the first time I'd seen this, and oh, absolutely cool. loved it, oh, definitely. Definitely watch it again. Oh, it's brilliant, um, isn't it? I mean, it's very low budget compared to his other stuff, but it was his first film. Oh, yeah. So. yeah, exactly. But it, it, it makes um, it more charming, I think. It makes it... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's maybe not one location, but most of it is set in this flat. Pretty much, um, yeah. Yeah, and he said it's low budget. And strange that his first... So would it have been his first two movies would have been in Edinburgh? Was he living up here, Danny Boyle? He might have been, you know. I don't know much about his, mo- uh, his movements because he's from Manchester. I don't know yeah. exactly where he studied or whatever, but yeah, he's, he seems um, to like Scotland. I know that much about him. Yeah, yeah, that's a good place. Yeah, I, I love, I love Edinburgh. <laughs> I've been to Edinburgh a few times. <laughs> I'm from Glasgow. I don't like Edinburgh. I want to go. It's fine. <laughs> I, I want to go to Glasgow. Actually, I want to do Fright Fest Glasgow at some point. Looks really fun. I think I'm going to try and do that next year. Oh, actually. nice. Yeah, yeah. On your last movie, then, and I know you're seeing maybe Twenty Eight Days Later is the one that when you say Danny Boyle, people will mention. Mm. But this last one we're talking is probably his m- most successful, or biggest anyway. I mean, it was the Oscar-winning movie. Oh, yeah, I mean... It, it, 2000 eight Oscars, eight Oscars. Eight Oscars, was it? Yeah, that I've, I've actually written them all down because I'm a nerd. So so it, it's got Best Picture, Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Song, Best Sound Mixing, Best Cinematography, and Best Editing. So Excellent. Just, it I'm getting sweet. definitely... It was a sweet Yeah. Well, that's brilliant. that's incredible. I didn't realise it was as much as that. I knew it would get best picture, but mm. then you know he'd the best director so for it. I thought I should I should bring it in because obviously it was uh just a commercial success for him. I mean I, I do yeah. I do love the film, but I think it's important to acknowledge how impactful this film was. Welcome to Who Wants to Be a Millionaire! Never get beyond 16,000 rupees. He's on 10 million. What can our slum dog possibly know? He went on the show because I thought she'd be watching. She's my destiny.
Terra do Leva. seen this once before my rewatch yeah. and the first time I watched it so when you gave me the list I seen Slumdog Millionaire and I went oh, <laughs> I didn't like that first time I watched it but the first time I watched it was on a plane right. and, <laughs> and I don't like flying so oh. I wasn't fully focused yeah. <laughs> on, the, on the movie on this rewatch I really did enjoy it nice. a lot more <sighs> in terms of Danny Boyle's movies it's certainly not one of my favourites um, uh. it's beautiful looking as with most of his movies um, the characters are great in it but I just I don't know I think the story just seems a bit and I know it's it's a it's uh, actually it's a it's fiction it's like yeah. totally made up but it's just the, the what's the word the um, coincidence in it just <laughs> even for someone who made like 28 Days Later and Sunshine the coincidence in this is too much for me to stretch at some, at some point <laughs> like it's a really well made it's really well told Dev Patel's fantastic in it, mm. um, and it is a really good story. It's just that aspect. It's the, the who wants to be a millionaire part of it is the bit that I kind of trip up on a wee bit. Fair, yeah, I can understand that. It's very, it's very far fetched, I think, but I do think using a really popular game show to sort of go through this boy's chapter is, is a pretty cool way of doing it. You know, like to, like his life is split into like I say chapters and like sort of like question one, what happened, and then he recalls whatever um it's i think you have to take it with sort of like suspension of disbelief it wouldn't happen in real life you know that kind of thing it's it's very much like you know i would love if that would happen because then i would apply and i would go on it <laughs> you know what I, mean? I, would, I would win <laughs> yeah. um but i i do love the fact especially in this because of where he's from the mm-hmm. gods assume that he's cheating and he's and he's just some kind of filthy liar and whatever and i do think that's very you know, I think like, all cultures can relate to this. Like, you know, the working class are often shit on, and it's just not very nice. And I think it, it it does say a lot about how people will treat someone who's not considered quote unquote smart. Yeah. So I I did like that part of the narrative in in the sense that you know immediately oh this boy can't possibly know these things. You know, it was it was very telling of of the kind of stigma we have around that kind of um that kind mm. of culture. Yeah, like a, a not class war, but a class. Um split the yeah. split between the classes that the game show host is the one that calls in the guards because he's saying there's no way mm-hmm. that uh, Dave Patel's character's uh, Jamal mm-hmm. get mixed up with Salim and Jamal can't remember what one yeah um, is there's no way he would know any of this like there's absolutely no chance and yeah usually what I try and do with, with the movies we talk about on this part of the podcast is I try and pick three almost jumping off points but I think with Slumdog Millionaire it's better just to talk about the movie in general because mm-hmm. there's not major set pieces anywhere it's split into it's not like a it's not even really like a three part like three structure narrative that you get in most movies mm. and it's because of how almost choppy the movie is it's really interesting that and it keeps it ticking over and it gets you from one part of uh, Jamal's story to then going back into the game show and then his life's progressed, so it's never it's never boring anyway. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I think you know, like the previous two we mentioned, they have very distinct. He has the beginning, middle, and end. He has what happened chronologically that this is what happens. You know, like sh- shallow grave. You know, get your flat, get your flatmates to the betrayal. Hundred twenty-seven hours, go to the canyon to get out of it. 
whereas Slumdog is ever is just constantly back and forth, isn't it? You're right. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I do think you know it's an excellent use of flashbacks. I think, but it's very, it's probably his most. I mean, I might be wrong, but probably his most non-linear film in the sense mm-hmm. that it's like all over the place. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, but it does work, and I do think it, it does build to a lovely ending. You know, mm-hmm. um, but yeah. I do think it's very hard, like you say, to pull apart very specific jump off points. Um, what I will say though, I think you mentioned we want to talk a bit about Dev Patel and like his career. Um, yeah. I love him. I think I don't. Did you see Skins? Because I love Skins. Yeah. Aye, and, like, I think, that's... Yeah. I think Anwar and Skins is probably his most famous, like for, for UK fans, probably his most famous mm. uh, role, I think. So yeah. He's, um, that was the, been the first thing, I think maybe the first thing he was in, but mm. um, the first, I remember watching the first two series of Skins and really loving it. Yeah. And then I stuck with three and four. I don't know. Meh. And then I think five and six with the way that got cancelled, it was that new group, and I just gave up. Um, yeah, I didn't think same. I watched. <laughs> I, like, um, but yeah, I remember those episodes of Skins as well. I think there was one they go on holiday and they're flying back to the airport, and Dev, P- Dev Patel's shoved drugs up his ass. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but he starts to need a shit when the plane's coming into land. Yeah. But what those episodes of Skins used to always do, it would end on an almost cliffhanger thing, and then it would never pick it up. Yeah. It already, time had passed and everything. I remember thinking, well, it must have been fine, but still, what's happened there? <laughs> like, he wanted to know, they would always leave it. Like cliffhangers wouldn't matter, they would just move on to something else the next episode. But he was, yeah, him and uh, the guy that played Chris were probably my oh, favourites. Brilliant. I mean, I, I don't even uh, know his name, shamefully, but Chris was incredible. Yeah. He was in uh, Game of Thrones as well, wasn't he? he was in, um, yes. Baratheon. He was the Baratheon bastard. It's going to annoy me now, but I, I do know his name. <laughs> aye, it's, his name isn't Chris. Aye. Yeah, but I. Sorry, a bit of detail there. But yeah, Dev Patel and this is great, and he's went on yep. to do great things. I've still never seen The Green Knight, and I've been meaning to catch it. I wasn't a massive fan of it, but I do. I love. I like him in it. Mm-hmm. It seems quite grand in scope for quite a small budget movie. It's very like I don't even know what to say because like I for fans of it, I completely understand why you enjoyed it. Like I, I really do, mm-hmm. but it mm-hmm. just didn't resonate with me. I just think it's it's very. I mean, it's one big long journey. Basically, it's not. It's not really a spoiler, but it's just one mm. big long, almost like pilgrimage. Right, okay. And it just didn't connect with me at all. Um, <laughs> however, however, I do think Dev Patel, everything he touches is fantastic. So I, you know, his performance was great. He was great, mm-hmm. but the the yeah. story was not really for me. No. Yeah, but I mean, I'm assuming that there would have been Slumdog that would have just pushed him through that barrier and a. A major leading man, and I think he'd won recently. Is it Lion as well? Oh yeah, another one. I think Sl- um, Slumdog's probably his like most like international role, isn't it? I think because obviously he was mm-hmm. he was a big he was a big UK sweetheart. Like well, obviously we had him from Skins and that, but like yeah. you know he kind of got propelled into like international stardom, which is lovely. You know, yeah. a lot of the, a lot of the Skins actors have done that. Actually, a lot of the Skins cast are flying. Like Nicholas Nicholas Holt, bless him, he's he's flying now. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's on um, the menu. I think she's he is. Of, yeah, with Anya Taylor Joy. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. not doing too bad for himself. And then he was an X Man. He was. Um, yeah. yeah, he's thinking about that there. I forgot. Mm. Yeah, they've done well out at that, that Skins crew. Uh, David Copperfield, another one I've seen him in. Of course, um, yes, I forgot about that one. Good. Yeah, that was a good one. It was film. a decent wee story, yeah. yeah. And yeah, he's he's certainly done well and he is great in this. And mm. um, his, obviously, play, he plays older Jamal. Yep. I think a lot of what happens to Jamal and a lot that he witnesses in his younger days when he's part of that orphanage mm. is quite horrific. Yeah. Um, like, it just seems to be. 
a guy with is written orphanage on the side of a bus picks all these kids up and gets them to make money for them in nefarious ways. Oh, it's it's a horrible backstory. I mean, obviously, you know, mm. everything him and his brother goes through, and then obviously his his um his love interest as well, bless her. You know, she gets exploited yeah. too. So I just think it's very. As much as it's, it's, you know, it was billed as like the feel-good film of the year at the time it was released, like it's still very dark in places. Mm-hmm. And you're just yeah, watching definitely. it like, whoa, this is like, these are kids, you know, like, come on. Like, you know, and it, it's just, it's a hard one to talk about, I think, which is it, it's ironic that I picked it, but I just think that <laughs> it's just a very, just a very nice story. And I just think, you know, there's just some lovely scenes in it. Like the, mm. the Taj Mahal scene is one of my favorites, you know, when, yeah, when, when the German couple's like, oh, we'll pay extra. <laughs> and then he's just absolutely bullshit. And like, you know, the, the little kid like, oh yeah, yeah, this is what happened and whatever. Like, it's just, again, it's, it's, it's Danny Boyle and certain humor into otherwise quite dark stories. Mm-hmm. Um, he's very good at doing yeah. that, I've, I've noticed. Um, yeah. Even in 28 Days Later, there's some like you know moments that shouldn't be funny, but but they kind of are. Um, he's just very good at doing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and um, like another part, Jamal's in uh, working in the call center, and I think he phones someone for oh yeah, <laughs> Kirkcaldy or something like that. Yeah, he phones her and he's like, "Where are you? Oh, I'm just round the corner from your house," and he's in Mumbai. <laughs> like, yeah, and then he he says, "Oh, I, I live next to the lock," and she goes, "Oh yeah, what lock's that?" And he goes, "Eh, lock Big Ben." <laughs> 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 because it's just funny yeah. isn't it but I, I i assume that that's what they were told to say you know they're trying to be relatable you know it's uh yeah it's, it's, uh, it's you've got the addresses up a, it's a quite a sad um sad place to work really but yeah it's just uh, also you see a bit of the kind of the interesting part was when you did the interrogation and the kind of police corruption oh yeah um yeah and it was good seeing our fan can obviously he's passed away now for a few years i think mm-hmm. um but he's he's doesn't even really have a name. He's just called Police Inspector. He's good in it. I always like seeing him. He's always good value for money, even mm. in the Jurassic World movie, which I like the first one. But he's good in that. He's quite entertaining, and he's it's good seeing him turn up again as well. I do like how he eventually does convince the police that he's telling the truth, though, because after yeah. after a while, you know, obviously they they've like electrocuted the poor guy. They've like beat the shit out of him, <laughs> and then he's finally sat down and he's like, look. I'm telling you my life story here, and they're like, "Okay, actually, you might be telling the truth." Like, <laughs> because how <laughs> how could you possibly have have answers for every single thing unless you actually were telling the truth? You know, yeah. it's like, come on, Aye. like <laughs> I do know this. Aye, and then it comes to the last question, and he he doesn't know it. Just on, on a whim, yeah. <laughs> Aye, just absolutely bullshit. Sitting wins sixty million rupees, mm. which two hundred thousand pound. Yeah, he yeah wins his two hundred thousand. Um, and as you're saying, happy-ish ending. Mm. Suppose when he's discussing what's happened to him, it's quite tragic backstory, but he's moving forward with his life. He manages to get the love of his life. He loses his brother. I think um, Salim gets killed, doesn't he? Yeah, he um, does, yeah. yeah. But that's to help Jamal and uh, his kind of childhood sweetheart escape, really. Mm. And he... I don't Because if she's on the run, right... How's he going to collect his money? Because they'll know he's with him because <laughs> she phoned up. <laughs> That's a very interesting. I applaud. Actually, I I never really considered that because the last time we seen they're on a train, aren't they? So it's like Aye. okay, good point. Um, <laughs> it's one. It's one of those again suspension disbelief stuff, isn't it? Where it's kind yeah. of like you can pull calls in it if you want. Like it's which is totally fair because I do. Um, I I don't know how he got the money in it or or if he even wanted it, frankly. 
Um, yeah. You know, I think because you have that lovely scene, like, you know, the, the, the final like million pound question where she answers the phone. Yeah. He's like, oh my God, you're alive. And it kind of like, it's, it's, it's not about the answer. It's about them talking to each other, you know? So I, at the end, yeah. at the end of the day, did he really want it? I don't know. Like, it's just interesting. Um, mm. And it's just, it's almost like heartwarming when you have like all these communities like gathering around a little TV watching him. Like, oh my God, like, he's done it. Like, <laughs> It's it's almost the, the spirit of him winning is more important than him getting the money. If that makes sense, yeah. which I know sounds stupid, but like it's just no. it's just that this poor kid from the slums like knows more than than you, than people might think of him, you know, just by yeah. by pure coincidence. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, and that's yeah, that's a good ending. And even if he doesn't get the money, he's maybe not rich in <laughs> finances, but he's rich in spirit. <laughs> Yeah, and he I, got his girl. absolutely, and I quite like. Right. I don't know if it makes me sound really sad, but like I'm a, I'm a sucker. I love a quiz show, so right, okay. I haven't seen so this, I haven't seen this film in years. So I was sat there trying to like answer them. I didn't do very well. <laughs> it, <laughs> it, even the one about um, what who was on the hundred dollar bill? I assumed it would be George Washington, Aye, and, it, I didn't and have a clue. it was Benjamin Franklin. I was like, what? <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> It's, uh, yeah, I do love. I do, do enjoy a quiz show. More of a, a pointless man, or a oh, you like pointless? Yeah, you're nice. I love that pointless guy. Yeah. Um, it's too hard for me. I'm just thick. Like <laughs> I, I don't get the many questions. I just like watching it and shouting at other people for getting them wrong. <laughs> the, the, the problem is you have to like get an answer. Like for those who don't know what pointless is, you have to get an answer that like hardly anybody in the survey has said. And it's yeah. really hard, and I'm like, "What do you mean? Like, this is right. really tricky." <laughs> and then, like you say, yeah, or uh, the worst one of all, only connect. Have you ever watched oh, that? I can't. It's fucking impossible. It's, it's like university challenge. I'm like, "What are you saying? <laughs> what, what are you saying? <laughs> like, what is this?" <laughs> do you know it was only a couple of years ago I found out in university challenge that they're not stacked. I just assumed they were sitting on top of each other. <laughs> I don't know why. It's just it's always I never really watched it and I'd only ever seen clips of them sitting. Yeah. I thought they'd maybe climbed upstairs to get to the top one and then the other ones just in the bottom. I love that. So I mean that tells you that I really probably shouldn't watch University Challenge if that's how I thought they were stacked. <laughs> but, aye. I love um, that. Oh lassie got glassed and no cunt leaves here till we find out what cunt did it. Who the fuck are you? Yeah So that rounds up the the three movies of your choice for Danny Boyle. Um, he's got loads of great movies, but what other ones would you say are essential? What other... Mm. If you say someone said, pick another three, say, for example. Do you know what? You... I think the sequel... So obviously there's Trainspotting, which we have alluded to. So, so yep. Trainspotting 100%. But also mm. the sequel is very good. Mm. Enjoy. See, I actually prefer the sequel to the original. I'm not a huge fan of the original. You know that? Really? Oh, wow. I like it, but it's far too bleak. It's very bleak. It's <laughs> like, very. Yeah, it's. I don't just sit down and go, oh, I fancy watching Train Spotting today. You know what I mean? Like, it's mm. very dark. It's, aye. You know, you've got everything. You've got, like, dead babies on the ceiling, underage <sighs> sex, heroin use. It's like, Jesus Christ. Like, it's yeah. very. And, you know, you've got Robert Carlyle being absolutely mental. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He's the best part of the sequel, though. He's so funny. Definitely, because, yeah. When he turns oh, back, I up. love unhinged Begbie. It's my favorite thing. Mm. Uh, just that, that scene in the parking lot, um, the, the one that they released ahead of ahead of the sequel coming out, when he's just chasing them, he's like, "Oh my god!" Like <laughs> he's mad. Um, but yeah, I do think you know, Train Spot and Train Spot Two, because it's a rare example of a sequel being fantastic. I think. Mm. Um, yeah. The third one, ooh, probably Sunshine. Okay. Because the thing is, because we have spoken about Twenty Eight Days, so I don't, don't want to kind of just keep beating a 
did mm. I mean, it is incredible. Uh, like, I don't think I'd, when Twenty Eight Days Later came out, I don't think I had seen a movie as brutally violent as that. Actually, do you know what? Let, let, let's put Twenty Eight Days Later there purely because mm. I did see it recently, and then I also met Danny Boyle when I was there, so I can I can tell you about that. <laughs> That's quite cool. So, Thanks, man. I yeah, exactly. So I um saw this at like a, a BFI screening of Twenty Eight Days Later. I've never never seen it on the big screen. Uh, and it was just really cool to see to see it in like mm. you know baby Killian Murphy bless him before Peaky Blinders when he was like baby faced and whatever and then you've got you've got Brendan Gleeson before him and Colin Farrell were like besties as well which is quite nice um but yeah I met Danny after the the screening he was lovely um I was actually in the bar because I assumed he, he wouldn't be talking to people it was a Q and A one and I thought oh mm-hmm. I'm not going to harass him so I was in the bar with my friends. And then a mate of mine came over and was like, oh, Danny's just signed my uh, DVD. And I was like, where is he? Tell me. Where? <laughs> like, just like, you know, I, I was like so alert, like, come on. So like, uh, I ran and found him and I was like, oh, I'm a big fan. And he spoke to me about Newcastle and he was like, you're doing well now. And I'm like, yeah, no. <laughs> and then we took some pictures, then he left and I was like, oh my God. Like, Brilliant. It, it was literally 30 second encounter, but it was like the loveliest man. You know, mm, like I know yeah. you, you've had guests on who've like interviewed their idols, and like sad, sad, <laughs> sadly, I have not. Um, but he's a really nice guy. Um, that's, that's but yeah, I, I do think you know people have to start with the classics, like the two train spottings and, and Twenty Eight Days Later. Really, mm, um, yeah. I think One Hundred Twenty Seven Hours might not be everybody's cup of tea, to be honest, because of, mm-hmm. of how it's it's not nice to watch. Let's face it, is it? Like it's quite no. horrible, right. but it has a nice ending. You know, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. I definitely yeah I'd agree with you probably not. I do I said I, I really like train spotting too I saw that in the cinema and oh, just it, it was a lot, definitely a lot more light hearted mm-hmm. um, especially the I don't know how well it translates but the the scene in the Orange Lodge oh yeah um, with the the password sixteen ninety you just type that in all the time yeah that, that tickled me up here um, <laughs> and Sunshine I really like as well it's yeah. almost like his Event Horizon. Mm-hmm. Very similar, I feel, to Event Horizon and its yeah. style, and it just takes a turn at the end mm-hmm. um, with, with Mark, I think Mark Strong, is it? I'm pretty sure he's the, in that. The kind yeah. of bad guy. Yeah. I think he's a bad he's guy. He's always but... a bad guy, Mark Strong. <laughs> oh, it has to be. <laughs> uh, and then um, uh, the 20 Days Later's got Christopher Eccleston, actually, as well, isn't it? Yeah, he, he plays he, the, like the a, army guy. army guy, yeah, who's obviously mm. quite a problematic figure. Um, yeah, I think so. He's worked with Eccleston twice, I think, um, which is quite nice. Yeah, I've seen him in, in anything for a wee while. So, but yeah, yeah kind those of ones dropped off. Yeah, um, yeah. I was going to say as well. Actually, I've, I've got like one Danny Boyle dud, which I didn't like. Um, right. I didn't like yesterday. I was not a fan of that. Yesterday was not great. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've not seen that. But yeah, I thought that was was that like a joint project with him and. Your man that always does like Love Actually and shit like that. Yeah, I forgot. His it was name. the two of them. R- Richard Curtis, that's it. Richard yeah. Curtis, aye. Yeah, it was, it was like a joint thing, it was, wasn't it? It was a weird one. Not great. <laughs> no, I've never bothered with it. I like really like the Beatles. I've got oh, tattooed nice, yeah. in my arm. I've got a few Beatles tattoos. I don't but... think you would like it because I. Okay, like I'm. I'm gonna try and say this like in, in a not stupid way, but like I wouldn't consider myself someone who gets offended for the sake of it. But but there's right. what, there's one scene in it that I found awful and quite disrespectful to the legacy of the Beatles um, I think I know about it because is it uh, involving uh, Robert Carlyle playing a certain character yeah I know about it I just find it <laughs> quite distasteful unfortunately yeah 
Yeah, I, just, I, I couldn't get on board with it, sadly. I mean, going to, I had a theory about it, which I'll maybe not talk about in recording. I'll mention it after we, we stop. Yeah, um, no worries. Um, but yeah, that was, there was one of his that I saw that I wasn't a fan of, and I think it did it of James McAvoy in it. Oh, trans, right? Was it trans? Might have been trans. Is it about stealing paintings or yeah, something? Trans. It's got. It's got. Um, yeah. Rosario Dawson in it, and it's got um, that guy from Black Swan who I forgot the name of. French guy, shit. Vincent Cassell. Vincent Cassell. I know who you mean. Yeah, he's it. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't a massive fan of trans. I quite like trans. Um, yeah. I, I mean, it wasn't, again, you're talking in terms of Danny Boyle's quality. Mm. I just wasn't a massive fan of it in terms yeah. of yeah. the rest of his stuff. Um, I can see why, yeah. Right. But yeah, so that'll uh, round us up then on Danny Boyle. So, Lovely. for yourself, what have you got coming up in terms of your work? Or we spoke about the podcast before. It hasn't been for a while. Yeah, the podcast is kind of. I'm hoping to bring it bring it back in the new year. Like, <laughs> it's one of those <laughs> things where I was trying to bring it back earlier, but then life happens, and before you know it, it's yeah. the end of November, and you're like, oh my god, what is going on? So Aye. at the moment, it's basically just cracking on with work, getting our Christmas TV schedule down, mm. uh, preparing for Christmas because let's face it, it's around the corner. You know. Um, pretty much winding down at this point and then new year i'll be back and i'll be refreshed and i'll be doing new things Aye. so i'm quite quiet at the minute <laughs> Com- comparatively yeah yeah just work, work stuff basically you've got coming up just, so look out for your just the day job yeah. Yeah. yeah that's fine yeah. that time of year as you're saying with yeah. christmas tv schedules and mm. seems to be a few um i mean obviously you get christmas movies every year <laughs> but quite a few big name ones this mm. year like you've got the i mean I won't watch the Disney Plus Santa Clauses because it's got Tim Allen in it. Um, and, but then we've got David Harbour and a playing a, oh, a Santa. Oh, I that really want to see that. It looks really funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then there's Christmas Bloody Christmas, I think, on Shudder in oh, middle of December. That one. Okay, that's cool. Uh, it's robotic Santas get sent out to different malls and one of them malfunctions and goes in a killing spree. I love Christmas horror. It's so fun. Yeah. Well, Krampus and... Um, yeah. Have you seen Rare Exports? No, I haven't actually. You've never seen Rare Exports? No. Have you okay. heard of I've heard of it. Yeah. So it's like <laughs> Finnish, I think, or Scandinavian and basically Santa is an ancient, all-powerful demon who's been frozen in the ice. <laughs> And what you think is Santa is actually his elves. What we see as Santa, mm. the red, the guy with the red coat and the red hat, are actually his elves who kidnap children. Wow, <laughs> that's fucking great. I'm pretty sure it rings a bell because like all of my like fright fest mates will like you know I'll hear things on the grapevine and I'll just like forget to watch them. Aye. <laughs> There's just too much. What you should do on. <laughs> on YouTube, they have short movies that are like, eight to ten minutes, mm. and it's called I think they're called Rare Exports, and it's like how to deal with your Santa Claus because they start capturing these elves <laughs> and dressing them up and sending them out to places. And it's like, don't swear in front of them because if you swear, you'll be attacked by a Santa Claus. Oh, my God. And don't uh, <laughs> don't don't drink alcohol. And if you drink alcohol and swear, and then it shows you the, the Santa just like busting out a huge box and attacking someone because he drank and swore. Oh, it's I'm... great. The, the short movies are just as good as the, the kind of full-length one. I mean, if that's the case, then they're going to come for me like immediately because I do both of those things. <laughs> so I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, dead. Yeah, I'm dead. <laughs> Fuck, <die. laughs> yeah. Yeah, So I'm not putting a tree up this year just in case. Nah. Um, so before we come to the last part, where can everyone find you? And obviously we spoke about what to watch. Yeah. And so I'm on Twitter at Lucy Jade Buglis is my main Twitter account. Um, you can also just find me on whattowatch.com. I'm on there. 
Uh, I mean, TV time is taking a bit of a hiatus on my, my podcast, but it's at TV time pod if you want to have, yeah. have a look. It's kind of dormant, but there's some episodes on there. You know, we've covered all sorts of things from like, hmm. you know, we've done a lot of reality TV show lately. So like Catfish, uh, Come Down With Me was a fun one. Um, right, cool. But we've also done like dramas like uh, uh, we did. What, what have we done? We've done. Oh, Bojack Horseman, which is one of my favorites. Mm. And we've done a bunch of others. I'm trying to think. Oh, we did. Um, it's a sin. The new Russell T Davis one as well. Uh, so we've done a okay. right mix of of things. Um, it's it, essentially for people that aren't aware of it. It's just people come on, bring a drink, and bring a show, and then we have a chat because mm-hmm. it was a lockdown, baby. <laughs> it, it was <laughs> it was me missing the pub or missing the coffee shop and chatting to people. So that's mm-hmm. kind of where it where it came from. But now that everything's come back to life and I'm back in the office, it's not as easy to keep up with, sadly. But yeah, of course. One of those things. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I hope to hear it back. And you need to watch Fringe. That was one I mentioned to you. Yes, of course. You I do. Fringe. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> just because it's a great TV show, even if you don't want to talk about it, it's just brilliant. People keep just giving me titles, and my list is so long, and I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ, I've just got to get through all these shows now. Like, I will do it eventually. It's really hard. <laughs> the good thing with Fringe is it never got cancelled, it got to finish on its own. Like it got a finale. It didn't wasn't like four seasons, then bang, right. cliffhanger ending. It got a full finale. Final final season was only like ten episodes because they cut it short. But um, it's well worth checking out. Really good kind of X Files style. Sci-fi. Nice, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very good. Um, with Joshua Jackson and Anna Torv and a guy who's face I know older guy. <laughs> I can't remember his name. He's been in Lord of the Rings and he was in. Something else recently as well. But you know, know his face to see him. Plays a dad. It's great. Nice. Well, nice, check nice. it out. Um, so you can find our podcast at Where Is Nowhere. I'm at Nowhere Andy. We've also got a Instagram, which is Road to Nowhere Pod, I think. I don't run that, so I don't know. <laughs> I'm always forgetting the name, and Larry will listen to this and then probably have to remind me again. Um, before we go then, I asked you just to think up a song or a piece of score or a piece of music from a movie mm. um, that you want to play out on. Um, you sent me it, but if you just want to let everyone know what that is and why you've picked it. Yeah, I mean, you said it didn't have to be on brand, but I mean, it's one of my favourite um, pieces of music anyway. It's um, In the House in a Heartbeat, which is from 28 Days Later. Um, people will know that from the, the big mansion house scene when everything kicks off. Mm. Great piece. Right, and a Danny Boyle one as well. And Danny Boyle, absolutely. Perfect. (laughs) So here is In the House in a Heartbeat.